It's Sunday night, and we are in a study on prophecy. I'm going to reveal to you something tonight that I have wrestled with for years, and I didn't really realize it. Something I've been searching for in my library. I've got thousands of books in my library at home, and I've been searching for years. I've gone through all kinds of books, and... I see something I've never seen. Sometimes it's right in front of you, and that's what it's been, right in front of me. Oh, y'all have to excuse me. i got a hurt knee here. Uh, And I'm going to show you some things, particularly in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the 39th chapter. I've been looking at something there, and I want to look at some things that I've never explained and I'm learning still. I'm talking about the end of time. The end of time. What are the signs that we're at the end of time? You've got two problems that people wrestle with. You've got Israel... And spiritual Israel, the church. And we are spiritual Israel. It don't matter what preachers say. When the Bible says that circumcision is of the heart, anytime the Bible mentions circumcision in the New Testament or even in the Old, it's talking about Jews. It's talking about Israel. And Paul tells the people at Rome, circumcision is of the heart. A Jew is of the heart. It doesn't matter what race somebody is. It doesn't matter what color they are. What matters is a man's heart if it's fixed with God. And God is the only one that fixes it. Well, there's some things I have wrestled with about the end concerning Israel and spiritual Israel. How can you tell We're at the end of time. I believe that literal Israel will have a war. And they're gathering like storm clouds over there right now in Israel. You've got their enemies of Israel have always been their enemies. You've got got Israel. And you've got, here's Israel. Here's Syria right here. That's the enemies of Israel. They've always been. You've got right above Israel, you've got Lebanon, the ancient uh, uh, nation of Tyre and Sidon, where that uh, when Ahab married Jezebel, he brought her gods, her father's gods down into Israel. And you've got Egypt down here, down in here. They're the ancient enemies of God or ancient enemies of Israel. You have Iran up here, in this area up here, and that's the old ancient system of Persia, which was the enemies of God. And then you have uh, down here Iraq, that was the old ancient uh, kingdom of Babylon. The Babylonian Empire kind of covered all this area here, and the Persian Empire, which is Iraq, um, excuse me, Iran, they covered this over in this area here. And then when Persia was overthrown by Alexander the Great, he covered all of this in here, 
and he tried to conquer India and he failed at that and lost, lost a lot of his soldiers and he came back on the Euphrates River to Babylon. Alexander the Great, everybody liked Babylon. It was magnificent. A great city, about 12, 14 miles on each side, square, straddling the Euphrates River and it had all these waterways and all of these uh, this plumbing where they would uh, run water all through there. And they had what they called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The Hanging Gardens were one of the seven ancient wonders of the world because it looked fantastic when you was coming across the desert. You'd see this great big square city, 14 miles on each side, and had walls about 375 feet high. And then the walls went down into the river nearly 400 feet and the river run around it and ran through it. And they said, we can't be conquered until until the Persian king came up north on the Euphrates above Babylon and ran the river out here in the desert into the Arabian desert and when he ran the river out there, you know how much water they can hold in the Arabian Desert? All that you want to put in there, every ounce. And when he ran it out here in the Arabian Desert, he marched down the riverbed, walked into the two-leaf gates that went down to the river, and Belshazzar was in there parting with the vessels of the house of the Lord. And Cyrus said, you're all under arrest. And he killed Belshazzar that night. And Babylon was no more. Now it belonged to the Persians. Well, I'm going to talk about how these systems are all, they all attacked Israel. Israel is the only one that served Jehovah God. When you're talking about uh, the Islamic people, they say that they came out of Ishmael. Ishmael. Well, Ishmael and Isaac were half-brothers. Abraham took Hagar, the handmaiden, and had a child with her, and that's Ishmael. And then, and then Isaac's mother, uh, Sarah, had a son, called his name Isaac, and Isaac was uh, the one that God blessed and gave the, gave the covenant to to Isaac then then it went from Isaac to Jacob to Jacob and Jacob's name was changed to Israel he had 12 sons that became the nation of Israel and this is who the Bible says that all of this belonged to now the reason that's important you get that in Genesis 17 and Genesis 28 that's very important because all the Arabs say that they're ancestor goes back to Ishmael and when you get a book the uh, Quran which is the holy book of the Arabs and Ishmael in the in the Quran it claims that Ishmael has the promise of God well the Lord when Isaac is born uh, Abraham cries out bless my son Ishmael and God says, I'll bless him, and twelve servants shall he beget. But my covenant goes with Isaac. And Isaac was 13 years 
younger than Ishmael. And the covenant goes to him. Now, this is what's important. Very important to understand. I believe there will be a war in the Middle East. I believe it will come from all of these nations that's around Israel. And Israel serves Jehovah God. Well, they don't just serve Jehovah God now, but they claim to. But they can't be serving Jehovah God unless they go through Jesus. But I believe there'll probably be a, a remnant in Israel to serve God because how could Israel win all of these wars, particularly the major wars of 1948, their war for independence, May 14th, May 14th, and how could they win this 57 war, 1957, the Sinai War, and they're totally outnumbered. Just no way they could win. And then you had a you had the six day war of nineteen sixty seven. And you had a war from June the fifth to June the tenth. Now a lot of times I'll go through all of this. I'll go through it and explain. And this is what's going to explain the war against Israel. And the war against the United States or the church, it's not going to be, the U.S. is going to, they're going to declare, they've already declared war against the United States. The war they declare is called a jihad. Jihad means a holy war. And here's the main reason, and you, somebody's telling me they were watching, uh, are reading something about Sirhan Sirhan. Sirhan Sirhan is the Arab that shot Robert Kennedy. And he said, somebody told me they was reading about him, and that he said the same thing that I teach in this. He said that the reason he shot Robert Kennedy is because that land of Israel they say belongs to the Arabs because the Arabs own the land from 1517 until 1917. And 1917 was the end of the Great War, what we call World War I. They called it the Great War. They didn't know there was going to be a World War II. And because during that 400-year period, 400 years, most everybody that lived in what we call Israel, they weren't called Israel till 1948. They hadn't been called Israel since back during the time of Christ. <clears throat> they were called Palestine. When I was a little boy in elementary school, I remember being at S.S. Dillo uh, Elementary School in Fort Worth, and I remember the teacher would be saying something about Palestine. And we knew that meant the place where the people of Israel lived. But I remember one day, I was about nine years old, and the teacher came in the room and said, we will call uh, Palestine, we'll call it Israel from now, and it took them several years to get it into the books. I was a little boy when Israel became a nation. So since they owned that land, about 90% of the people who lived in Israel, about 90% of them, were of Arab descent. When I say Arab, 
There is no pure races. Arab is a Hebrew word. It means mixed. It means mixed races. But most of them were Islamic people that worshipped Allah. They worshipped Allah. Allah was a tree god in the ancient, uh, in the Old Testament. He was a tree god. When the Bible speaks of Israel going after that number, the number, and the word number is the word, uh, well, I forgot, mene, M-E-N-I-Y. That is a term for Allah. And when you find the word oak, oak tree, this was, it wasn't till around 586 A.D. before Muhammad, Muhammad uh, started Islam. But what he did, he brought all of these old moon goddesses and moon gods, brought them into one nation brought them into one God, he incorporated into one God in Islam, and he was the Constantine of Islam. You could call him that, because Constantine tried to amalgamate all the Christian Christianity uh, together. So about 90% of the people that lived in, in uh, what we would call Israel, they called it Palestine for 400 years. When a, a man named General Allenby, he was of the British Commonwealth. Now, a lot of people don't know who the Allies are or the Axis powers were. The Allied powers were, in World War II, was the United States, France, Great Britain. These were our allies. The Axis powers was Germany with Adolf Hitler, uh, was the Axis powers were uh, Mussolini with Italy, uh, the guy with Spain, what was, it, what was his name? I can't think of it. Uh, Franco. Francisco Franco. He was with Hitler. In fact, he got away after the war and should have been executed. So should Pope Pius XII. It was General Dwight D. Eisenhower that got Pope Pius XII off the chopping block because he said it wouldn't be to the advantage of all the Catholics in America. So, and then you had Japan was a part of the Axis power. Those were Japan, uh, Germany, Italy. Those were the main people in the Axis powers. And you had you had uh, the United States, Great Britain, and all of Great Britain's everything that was a part of the British Commonwealth which would include Australia, Canada, and everyone who gave allegiance to the Queen of England. Well, <clears throat> Mohammed started Islam around 586. That may be a little few years off. A.D., but when the Bible says Israel poured out drink offerings through that number, the word is mene, and that was an ancient word for Allah, but there were many gods in that ancient world. So number, and the reason they called Allah the number, because the moon numbered the season. They worshipped the Lord Moon in the form of the, like so, the, the crescent moon. They worshipped Allah in that form. 
So Israel was actually going after Allah in the ancient world, but he wasn't called Allah. He was called Alon, A-L-L-O-N, but it was many forms of him in the ancient world. Now, the reason the Arabs, for they had all these fights and fusses. If you want to go on the Internet and look it up, you can look up Balfour Declaration. Declaration. And this man Balfour was the ambassador to Israel. He was a British ambassador. And he made a declaration and he said that they were going to watch over Israel and the surrounding nations that were their enemies. Now, when we get into the 38th chapter of of Ezekiel, the Bible names these nations under their ancient names in the 10th chapter of Genesis, Genesis 10. And the Bible is going to talk about Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal. Talk about them right here. Talk about, uh, it's going to talk about Meshach. Where is that? Let me uh, flip that over there to, well, I lost it, Mike. Can somebody fix this for me? You know how to, yeah, I know you know how to fix it. All right. much time if we can't do it anyway let me go ahead and be talking about this so for 400 years the Arabs lived in what we call Israel and they called it Palestine 400 years General Allenby marched into Jerusalem he would not ride on his horse he said I'm not worthy to ride into Jerusalem on my horse And he walked his horse in and took Israel back from the Ottoman Turks. For those 400 years, Israel's, or Palestine, was under the rule of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, and they were all worshipers of Allah. So when they go into Jerusalem, everything looked like this is being turned upside down for the Arab cause. And they feel like and in 1920, this, this Balfour Declaration was issued, and it was very hazy. The Arabs thought it was in their favor that there was going to be an Arab nation established in what we call Israel. And they fought back and forth from all the time of that, of that uh, Balfour Declaration. From 1920... Until 1948, there was all kinds of, uh, you got that? Yes, sir. All right. All right. I was going over here to 
I'll get it here in a minute. Uh, that's not it. Here it is. Yeah. I'll get back to that in a minute. Now, Sirhan Sirhan said the reason he shot Bobby Kennedy was because we had stolen the land and the United States was behind this. The U.S. was behind Israel becoming a nation in 1948. The man who pushed that more than anybody else was our president at that time, Harry Truman. Harry Truman, being an old Baptist from Missouri, knew probably a Southern Baptist, and uh, he pushed for Israel to be a nation when they had the National Council at Tel Aviv. Of course, Tel Aviv at that time, up to here recently, was the capital of Israel. And they and the United Nations met there at Tel Aviv. And through Harry Truman's pressure of the world, Israel became a nation for the first time in 2,600 years since they were carried away into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. They had never been a nation since then. As soon as we declared him a nation, we were in jihad in a holy war against the Arabs. They have something they call Al-Fatah. It's not unlike our manifest destiny. Of course, manifest destiny was a racist thing when it started off. I don't need to go into that. If you get your book called... Uh, uh, I can't even think of the name of it. Uh, it's a book you can go over here at Barnes & Noble, and it talks about how we were racist against the American Indian, that this was a doctrine of discovery issued by the Pope at that time, in 1492. The Pope was a Spanish Pope, and... Columbus was a Spanish pirate. He was not born in Italy. He was a pirate from Spain. And they gave him this doctrine of discovery decree that he could come to America and kill all these Native Americans because they were animals and they didn't have souls, speaking of the American Indian. And so he was behind it. So was Jefferson. So was particularly James Monroe, who, who changed the name of Doctrine of Discovery and called it the uh, uh, Manifest Destiny. It meant we could go west, take any lands that these American Indians were living on, and we'd say, you can live here, but if you don't want to live under our rules, we'll put you out here in front of a firing squad and kill you. That's how... You, there's a book called Doctrine of Discovery, and you can buy it at uh, Barnes & Noble or any of these big bookstores. You can order it. Now, where was I? So when, when, they became, when we became a nation in 1948, Sirhan Sirhan said that's why he killed Robert Kennedy. 
Somebody told me, said, he said the same thing you said in the pulpit. That's why they did it. Because they owned the land for 400 years. There's an old saying that uh, possession is nine points of the law. In other words, if you got it, you own it. It would be like saying to me, Jim, uh, you've got your house and it was paid for 35 years ago, but we've got an old Indian land grant that says that the land belonged to the Seminole Indian. You've got to move out of here by Monday. Would I be livid? Oh, yeah. Would I be right? Halfway. Halfway right, halfway wrong. That's the way they felt. Men don't crash planes into a World Trade Center because they're crazy. You have to believe in what you're doing. That's why they did that. So you can't blame the Arabs, the Muslims, and you can't blame the people that believe it belonged to... God says the land belongs to Isaac. It belongs to Jacob forever. And he said in Leviticus, the 26th chapter, the land is mine. You can't sell it. You can't do anything with it. I own it. Now give it to who I want to. So this thing over here in the Middle East is not going to go away. Period. We're in a jihad. We're in an al-Fatah. This is what they call it. They said when back in the 6th century in Arabia, I don't I think it was Mecca where that Mohammed started this started this thing called Islam that anyone who got in the way of the advancement of Islam and Mohammedism, you place yourself automatically in jihad against all the Arab nations. That's why the Arabs are not only against Israel, they're against us. That's why they attacked the World Trade Center. There wasn't some, one of these, uh, I did a study on all of the imaginary things they said happened at the World Trade Center. In fact, I got a book in my library by Mechanics Illustrated, and they investigated everything that they said trying to put this off on the United States crashing a plane into the World Trade Center. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. They said the, the popular mechanics had no axe to grind with anybody. They investigated everything and said all of that is a superstitious nonsense about how the United States would do that and how they would hide this from everybody. That show you how crazy that is. I've said this before. I can't get three people in Grace and Truth Ministries to keep their mouths shut about anything. So if I don't want somebody to say something, I don't tell them. How can you get? How can you get? All the people, supposedly, that they took those planes and they crashed one of them in the ocean and everybody that was on it, they told them to be quiet, don't tell anybody about it. The one that crashed in Pennsylvania was a farce and, and the pilots were uh, in on it. And How can you do this with everybody? And how can you go out there and crash up the World Trade Center and let all these innocent people die and your government 
First of all, George Bush at that time didn't have sense enough to hide anything like that. Nobody does. No one. But you, we placed ourselves in jihad, 1948, May 14th, and that's the reason for all these wars. And Israel has been completely overwhelmed. So I believe there will be a war against the church and against Israel. I've been coming to the conclusion it's taken me a long time to understand Isaiah, not Isaiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the 48th chapter. Not 48. I don't know what in the world I'm talking about. 38th chapter. And the 40th chapter, not 40, what's wrong with me? 39th chapter repeat some of the things in the 38th chapter. Now let's go back over to, I'm going to be saying this the best I can, because there's so much to this. It's what's going on right now in Israel. I keep saying, this thing has to end before long. It can't keep going. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's going to get worse and worse. The people I'm I'm concerned about are the kids, my grandkids, your kids. We've got to teach them everything we can because this thing is going to get bad before it's over with. If you picked up somebody out of 1955 when I was 16 years old, and set them down in this world today and educated them for a week, they'd have a nervous breakdown and said, what in the world is going on in the world? They wouldn't believe that we had legalized abortion. They wouldn't believe that they had legalized homosexual marriages. And I didn't, hadn't even heard of the hurt words homosexuals in the mid-50s when I was a teenager. Never heard of it. We'd call somebody a sissy, but we didn't call them a homo. We didn't know what the word meant. We're so off the end of the earth. This has to really get bad. Now, let's go back over to the 38th chapter and we'll review a little here because this is what's happening, folks. There's going to be a war against Israel. I believe that because that's what the Bible says. And when you get to Ezekiel 38, I've been thinking about why would they rename these lands so that people couldn't recognize where they were. This makes you want to find out where it is. They can't go along with the current modern names of the Middle Eastern people because the names of these countries have changed since they originally started. They've changed them. They'll, they changed Yugoslavia and Hungary to Herzegovina and uh, and the other names, I can't even think of them right now. They've renamed them. And if you study in the future about Yugoslavia and Hungary, the kids in school are not even going to know what you're talking about. So when God has given us a permanent name for these people, and it's been the names of the men, it's going to take me a while to get through this. Go back here to the 38th chapter of Ezekiel. 38th chapter. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, 
Set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, and the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Gog and Magog was the Caucasus Mountains between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. They called their mountains Magog. Let me read this to you again. This is not so hard to find. All you have to have is a set of McClinic and Strong and look up Gog and Magog. And this is what it'll tell you. And you know a lot of other men, you can read these chapters and they won't even mention this because they don't have those dictionaries. Those encyclopedias were printed in the 1800s. But we don't print all... I guess they thought Gog and Magog wasn't important anymore, so they quit publishing Gog and Magog and a lot of other information in the 1800s. When they started putting out, when they started putting out new encyclopedias, then the Zondervan's Pictorial Encyclopedia. I'm not saying there's something wrong with those; they have more modern information. But Gog and Magog, or any other materials that you need. If you're looking up Pleiades, when the Lord tells tells uh, Job, can you bind the sweet influence of Pleiades and loose the bands of Orion? Pick up your McClinic and Strong and look up Pleiades and look up Orion. It'll tell you what it is. It has to do with the fruits ripening in the spring. And I'm not going to go any further than that. Now, here's Gog. As to the signification of Gog, it appears to mean a mountain or the Caucasus mountain. And it comes from the word ko, K-O-H. What they did is they hardened the consonant, K-O-H, and hardened the consonant to G-O-G. Gog, Kog, Ka. And the Caucasus mountain, Gog, the Caucasus mountains, are here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. You can't see them right here. Uh, I've got it on some of the other maps. But they run right there between. And that's the Assyrian, the head of the Assyrian empires. The Assyrians lived there, and they were barbaric people. They were Caucasians, the most barbaric people that ever lived on the face of the earth. And before them were the Scythians. The Scythians were just cruel people. They were all Caucasians. So when he's talking about Gog, means mountain, even the classical name Caucasus originated in Kaukaf, K-A-H-K-A-F, K-O-H-K-A-F, Kaukaf. And they hardened the consonants to Gog, to Gog. When you think of Gog and you listen to some old preacher trying to talk about Gog he this is the Antichrist and he starts yelling and hollering and he, well it may be but what I heard about it is crazy the Caucasus is the chief seat of the Scythian people these people settled in Caucasus mountains directly north of Israel in the upper Mesopotamia upper Mesopotamia Mesopotamia means between the rivers it's an ancient term it's between the between the Tigris and Euphrates River and that's the area of Babylon and further north between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea which is currently called Armenia or Georgia 
a state of the now defunct Soviet Union. The hardening of the last sound H into a G, Gog, we get call from call, seeming, seems to have taken place early when the name had already become that of a people. The other names, Magog and Agag, arose. Agag was the king of the Amalekites that Saul brought back with him when he went down to attack Amalek in that 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. I'll get it right in a minute. Became of the people, and the other names Magog and Agag arose. And other explanations come from the pelvic coca, meaning moon. These were moon worshippers. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What ruled the darkness was the moon, and they worshipped the moon. They worshipped the Lord moon in the form that was Allah, in the form of the crescent moon. Because they prayed to the moon. According to Renege, some of the Caucasian people call their mountains Gog, and the highest points they call Magog. I got that turned around. Magog means region of Gog, the second son of Japheth in Genesis 10 and 2. Go over back to Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is called the table of nations. That is where the table of nations is where the sons of Noah migrated to after the flood in Genesis 10. And you can figure out who these people that they're talking about over there in Ezekiel 38 when you read the 10th chapter of Genesis. You've got the flood in the, actually the 6th, 7th, and 8th chapter, actually 7th and 8th, and then you have in the 9th chapter Noah coming out of the ark, and then it has in this 10th chapter, Table of Nations chapter, it's got where these sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, migrated to. And God said unto wait, I'm in the 12th chapter, it won't help me. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Ham, and Japheth. Unto, unto them were, born, were sons born after the flood. The names of the sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan. Here's Madai. Uh, there's Tubal Meshach to rest. Madai over here in Upper Assyria. This is the way to put it down so nobody will forget who it is. In the, in the event they start changing the names of ma- nations. So God just gives them their original names. And he says, uh, Madai. Magog, Javan, Tubal, they're not any different than us. They named their towns and cities and areas after their children, like Nashville, Hendersonville. These are named after the Henderson family and after the Nash family. I was raised in Fort Worth. Worth was the name of an old people back in the 1800s. Every place is named after their sons. That's what they did. Washington, D.C. is named after George Washington. Columbus, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, named after Christopher Columbus. Well, they did the same thing. Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal. And when you look back over at 
I'm not going to go through all of these, but you'll find these sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They've got these names. Let's go back to the 38th chapter. 38th chapter of Ezekiel. If people look in their Bibles, they can find out where these things are. Look in your concordance and look these names up. Now, I got this map out of an old, old dictionary. Azonerman's Dictionary, the first one I ever bought when I started preaching back in 62 or something like that. I bought an di- uh, encyclopedia. It was one volume. Now they've got six or seven volumes of the Zonerman Encyclopedia. And this is the only place I've ever seen this. Never saw it anywhere else. So you got these sons of Japheth and Shem and Ham. Shem migrated down here, down here to... Babylon. They they landed in the mountains of Ararat. A R R A T. A R R A T. And Ararat was a chain of mountains, and and Japheth the eldest migrated up here, and the Caucasians come out of him, and then. Ham migrated down here to Mizraim, put down here Cush. Cush was the grandson of Ham. And uh, then all of these, Madai, Magog, Gomer was one of the sons of, was one of the sons of, and that's up in Russia. This is Russia up here. If you go leave Israel, you go straight up between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. You'll hit Moscow right up there. That's why when they declared Israel a nation, you heard about all these Jews coming back from Russia. Well, that's where they went to uh, when they were carried off into Assyria. They went down here when Babylon carried southern Judah. They ended up down here in Babel on the Euphrates River. Here's the Tigris, here's the Euphrates. Like I said earlier, Mesopotamia means between the rivers. It means down here in Babylon or what we call Iraq. So when you find these people attacking Israel at the end of time, here's their original names right here. Right here in the in the uh, 10th chapter of Genesis. Just go back, research back there. Now, let me finish reading this. Magog means region of Gog, the second son of Japheth in Genesis 10 and 2 and 1 Chronicles 1 and 5. Noble historian says that Magog comes from the Sanskrit ma or maha meaning great and a Persian word signifying mountain, great mountain. Remember a mountain was the capital city of an empire. Babylon was called a proud mountain. God says you're a destroying mountain, and I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. And you see the burning of Babylon in the 18th chapter of Revelation. And a Persian word signifying mountain, in which the case the reference would be to the Caucasian range between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. The terms Gog and Maghoff, M-O-G-H-E-F, are still applied to the same heights of that range. Hitzig, another historian, connects the first syllable with the Coptic ma, meaning place, or the Sanskrit maha, land, and the second with the Persian root kokab, meaning the origin, or Caucasian, meaning moon, as though the term had reference to moon worshippers. 
And the moon worshippers were the Lord moon is represented by the tree on the earth, and that's where the Christmas tree comes from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. <clears throat> May I recall to your mind Allah, the Lord moon, and the moon being the ruler of darkness in high places are those who love to shine above others in the darkness. God resists the proud, those who shine above others. God makes war against those who shine above others or spiritual Babylonians, the proud. God will make war with the unrepentant nations, spiritual Gog and Magog. Now, that's all I'm going to read out of this. So now we know where Gog is. But Gog is a picture of the worldwide Babylonian system at the end of time. Babylon is a destroying mountain. Babylon was founded on let us make us a name ourselves. It was on pride. They said we'll make up our own doctrine, our own name, our own authority. The word is Shem. It means authority. So we'll make up our own doctrine, and that's what's happening in the world today. Today, you see Babylon destroyed in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, the 50th and 51st chapter. And you see Babylon at the end of time being destroyed in Revelation, the 18th chapter. And what Babylon was founded on was self or money or things and stuff. The Bible shows in the 18th chapter of Revelation how Babylon's going to sink. And we're on the verge of that right now, aren't we? Now, now let me show you something I've really learned. Um, And all through this 38th chapter, he's talking about how Babylon's going to go down, and at the end of time... Let's go back through some of this because this is hard to explain without going through it. Now, and he says, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Meshach and Tubal, these two, I looked at all the maps I could find, they were both in the B system, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Well, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal wouldn't be one of the Caesars. Who would be leading all these people against Israel? Satan. The chief prince would be Satan. So God, Satan meaning adversary. So let's read here. I will turn thee back, (coughs) Gog, with all of these men, and I'll put hooks in your jaws. In that day and time, when they would conquer king. They went on a hook up through this soft part of his bottom of his jaw, pull it out of his mouth. First thing they'd do is cut off his thumbs and his great toes because he could not wield a weapon with no thumbs. He couldn't have any balance without his big toes, and he couldn't get in battle and fight. And some of those guys could pull an army together. Some of those great leaders could pull an army together overnight, but they couldn't without their big toes and their thumbs. They'd run a hook in their jaw, put them under their tables, and once in a while, some great famous king throw them a scrap of meat or some bread or something. And God says, I'll put hooks in your jaws. Because that was their practice. That's what they did. And I will bring, I will bring thee forth all thine army, horses and horsemen. Now, you've got to understand, if this is at the end of time, and it is, the way they would express it, they would express it in their terms, their terminology. 
their danger that they had was armor and swords and bucklers and shields and that was their method of fighting this could you could actually substitute tanks and all these uh super weapons that they've got you could put that in here instead let's read it even a great company with bucklers and shields and all of them handling swords persia oh persia over here ethiopia down here well these are all the people that have been the ancient enemies of israel so god says now something you need to understand these people have individually attacked israel but never collectively at a as a confederacy have they all gotten together to attack israel this right here says they're all going to pull together and attack israel they're on the verge of that right now that Achmanadijad said if he if if they develop in iran nuclear power he said they're going to do an unprovoked attack on israel and why do they do that because they believe they're right they believe the land belongs to them and we took it away from their brothers when declared israel a nation and truman was behind it Herr truman is somewhat of a hero in israel he wasn't here he was just a pres- another president but he was considered a hero because he pressured everybody i remember reading in one of the books that uh, I always know where uh, what was his name the the crazy man Gaddafi Gaddafi I always remember because Ronald Reagan when Gaddafi got loose Ronald Reagan put a embargo uh, put a uh, blockade a blockade across this bay right here and Gaddafi was ruling here in Libya <coughs> and I remember that that's how I remember that that little bay there being Libya because uh, Ronald Reagan blocked it. Now, let's read on. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya. I just got through talking about that. These are all God's enemies. All of Israel's enemies. The Bible says they're going to attack. They've never done it before. Never done it before. Collectively. They've individually attacked Israel but never as one unit. That's why, and it's never happened in history. And this says it's going to happen. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma. Gomer is Russia. Togarma, where's Togarma here? It's in here somewhere. Here, Togarma, right there. That's upper... That's nearly in the right in the middle of of the Caucasus, or right close to the Caucasus. It's uh, at a point of where where uh, uh, Iran ends. In fact, up in this area is where you've got a lot of the uh, what do you call them? I can't think of their got so many names on my mind. All right, Gomer and his bands, the house of Togarma and North Quarters. See, if you put the original names, there's not going to be any mistake in who they are. They might change the names, the current names, and North Quarters and all his bands and as many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. And after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. 
That's during our time, because it's never happened before. They shall come into the land that is brought back from the sword. All these people are going to come into the land. When was Israel brought back from the sword? They were under the sword for 2,600 years. From 586 B.C., 586 B.C. to May 14th, 1948. They were under the rule of pagans until this right here, 1948. It has to be talking about this right here. Israel, Luke 21, 24. Israel shall fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile world over is finished. Not until 1967 war did they quit treading Jerusalem underfoot. In that six-day war, June 5th through June 10th through 10. That's when they threw out the Jordanians and took Jerusalem back to rule, and that hadn't happened since 586 B.C. So back from the sword has to be here, or at least at the latest, 1967. They have, they're back from the sword. Nobody's ruling them anymore. Nobody's walking on them. They've got approximately, according to our friend that goes to Israel, worked with them, worked with Mossad, the retired colonel. He said they got about 800 nuclear warheads in Israel. And on each end of the warhead of the on those warheads, they go to what he called an apogee. That's the highest point that the rockets will go to. They may have twenty warheads on each one of those rockets. They can shoot them anywhere. And that's why these people are not comfortable about attacking Israel all of a sudden. No one else over there has nuclear power. Nobody. But the French gave Israel nuclear force, gave them their technology, and they have it. So they're a very dangerous people to mess with. When, when Iran was threatening them, and we were in all of that war here back, well, it's still a war over there now, but there's a lot of bombing going on. They still have some of that going on, these bombs that they'd take into a marketplace and blow up, and they were taken over various places when they blew up the marine barracks in Lebanon back in 81 or 82. I remember that. In fact, this fellow Mike said he was on the top floor of that marine barracks. He was in the Marines. He's a retired Marine colonel. Said he was in the top barrack, top floor, and it collapsed and it broke his back and he wasn't able to, he was a jet pilot, so we couldn't fly jets anymore. But they're attacking all over the world, uh, these places like that. So he goes on to say, they're going to attack those that have been brought back from the sword. All of these people, the Bible says, and it's never been done, they're going to attack Israel who've been brought back. The condition the world's in, all the false doctrine that's going on with the preachers in America, uh, the all of the the economic 
problems we're having. The nation is about to collapse economically. We're on the verge of bankruptcy, along with about 50 other nations in the world. This thing is going to keep happening until the end. It's not going away. The thing that's important is to live for the Lord. It's not to fight for your own rights. It's live for the Lord and pray, Lord, give me strength to live for you. We we don't have that long to go. I may be dead, but these kids won't be. I just don't believe that we can last that long. Then he says, They're back from the sword and gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. The mountains of Israel would be Zion and Moriah. Moriah's where the temple sits. In Zion is a term for Jerusalem. When the Lord told Israel, come out of Babylon, Israel, or Zion, he says, calls them Zion in the second chapter of, of Zechariah, which have always waste, but it is brought forth out of nations, and they shall, and they shall dwell safely of them. Thou shalt ascend. That's interesting. Thou, talking to Gog and all of his forces, you will ascend up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the highest point in the middle of of Israel. You have to go up to go to Jerusalem. So it, this is actually talking about literal Jerusalem. And they shall ascend and come like a storm. That's talking about Turkey or Meshach and Tubal. That's talking about Put or Egypt. It's talking about all these these ancient names for the sons of Japheth and Ham. It's going to come against Israel. Abraham, Abraham. Shem, the second born son of Noah, settled down here in the Babylonian area. That's why God called Abraham out of Babylon, said, get thee up out of thy land to a land I'll show you. And he went over here to Israel and said, this is your land, and will you worship me, Jehovah God, and everybody else around you will be worshiping Allah or some other sun god or moon god. What's going on in the Middle East is of great concern to us. They've got plans for America. I brought a book with me. I've got a couple of shelves of Middle Eastern books. This was written by a journalist, investigative reporter. His name is Paul Williams. He writes a lot of things on the Middle East. He's written some books that he puts his life in jeopardy to get, get the information. If they catch him, they'll put him to death. And he's, this book is about the nuclear suitcases. This is the plans for America. When the Soviet Union broke up into its different states, Union of the Soviet Socialist Republic, that's what they called it. That's all these states together that were communists together with them. When they broke up into individual states, Russia had come up with something that they called nuclear suitcases. When they invented them, they created a suitcase, and it was about... 180 pounds it was big and long and they said these suitcases had nuclear warheads in them and they could take them and put them somewhere and they kept working on them till they finally got them down to about 65 pounds 
And they said, you can take a nuclear suitcase. And they had been put on the market by these despots. A despot is a, is a small-time dictator. When this thing broke up into all of these, when the Soviet Union broke up into all of these uh, states, some of those dictators had one of these nuclear suitcases, and they went on the world market to whoever, to the highest bidder. Some of them, they say, were buried in America. Some were buried in Minnesota. Some were buried in Texas. And they say they're, at, they're not something that can be just generated all of a sudden. They have to redo something in the suitcases when they have the right scientists that can recharge the bombs. And they said they could take one of these nuclear suitcases, that a man can take one and put it in a closed closet, get into a big high-rise building in New York City, put it in, a, in a, just a utility closet, go downstairs, get in his car, drive five or 600 miles away and make a phone call to that nuclear suitcase and it'd blow up half of New York City these are the kind of things they have in store for America this is an old book but if you think they're going away we are their enemy because we have sided with Israel and telling Israel you could be a state did you know that the United Nations vote the Arabs never vote they refuse, they abstain from voting. We're not voting for Israel. And they say no. These are very interesting. They they got the power to set them up all over the country. Did you know that me and Mary went out west on a vacation in the early 2000s, 2003, 4, 5, 6, somewhere around there? Huh? Was it 2004? When we went out there, just about every station we stopped at, every little market, it would be some Arab that owned it that was running. They got them all over the country. They said in one of these that they're all waiting for a signal. And if they get the signal, then they'll start blowing up anything, service stations, buildings. We we don't even know the danger we're in. The FBI and the Homeland Security and the CIA can't keep check on all these. These guys are taking some chances by doing what they're doing. The Arabs are at war with us in a jihad, and they have been. Sirhan Sirhan said that. If you read these guys, but they're not going to tell you this kind of information on the evening news. It's not going to do it. They don't want to put America in a panic. Now, now let's look and see Israel is being going to attack, is going to be attacked by all these nations. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass, verse 10, at that time shall things come into thy mind, Gog, that thou shalt think an evil thought, and I put it there, God said. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages where Israel thinks they're safe. I don't know how they're going to get around those nuclear warheads. And I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having 
neither bars nor gates and take a spoil to take a prey. This is what God's going to say are those people that's running those nations. They're not afraid to go into Israel even now. They go in there, go into a marketplace with a bomb in their in their sack and set it down. It goes off and kills 25 or 30 people. And take thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba de Dan, which is down in the bottom of the... It's down here in this area. Sheba, here. And Dedan is down in here. In the bottom of this Arab peninsula here, the Arab desert. There's Medina, Medina, Mecca here. Now, and take away cattle and goods and take great spoil. This is what they say they're going to do, but God says, you're not going to do that. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog. This is God talking to Gog, the leader. Thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? I'm going to make it known. And thou shalt come from the place out of the north parts, that's Gog and all of his cohorts, and that would be Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, Russia, Togarma, Upper uh, Syria, and so forth. And many people with thee, and all of them riding upon horses and a great company, and a mighty army, and thou shalt come in against my people of Israel as a cloud that covers the land. There's going to be a lot of you to come in and attack Israel. That's never happened before. Not all of them all at once. Individually, Syria has attacked Israel many times. Lebanon has attacked Israel. Turkey hasn't attacked Israel lately. But they're all going to do it at once. And I will bring thee against my land. God says, I'm going to put it in your mind to attack Israel so I can destroy you. And that's going to happen in the future. That the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes when I destroy you. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets? That is Satan, isn't it? That's not just one man. It'll be these men are inhabited by Satan, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring them the against my people and it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel saith the Lord God that my fury shall come up in my face I will get red in the face at all these people that are going to attack Israel for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel and the fishes of the sea, and the fowls of heaven, and the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all the men that are upon the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down. Remember, mountains were leaders in capital cities of empires. And the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. There has to be 
an elect group in literal Israel, if this is literal. And like I said, those four great wars, Israel won overwhelming victories in the 1948 Revolutionary War, 57, the Sinai War, 67, the Six-Day War, and 73, the Yom Kippur War. They had, Israel didn't have a chance. In 1948, remember, 45 million Arabs declared war against 250,000 Jews. No way they could have won, but they did. And I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, every man's sword shall be against his brother. I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the people that are with him and overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself. I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, let me get started again in the 39th chapter. How much time do I have, Mike? 25. He repeats the things that he says at the first part of the 38th chapter. He's against Gog. He's against everybody who's against his Israel. Therefore, the son, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. It's actually be the leader of the world system that's controlled by Satan. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, to come up to Jerusalem from northern parts. They'll have to come up because Israel has a higher elevation. Or Jerusalem does. And will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand. You might as well say their rifles, their machine guns, their whatever. And the arrows to fall out of thy right hand, and thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beast of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord, spoken as the word dabar, and it means I have planned it, and it's going to happen. And I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. They shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel and will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord. This is the day whereof I have spoken. I've talked about this all through history. And I have spoken and I'm performing it here this day. It hasn't. They've been attacked many times by these other nations. Not all at once. And they shall dwell in the cities of Israel, shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and arrows and hand staves, and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. That's really an amazing thing. I was reading this, my commentary 
the pulpit commentary, and I thought, how can they burn them seven years? This can't be the end of time if they burn them seven years. And I could not know what to do with this. Let me, let me uh, keep reading. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire and shall spoil those that spoil them and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. It shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers in the in the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude. It will stink so bad outside of Israel that people won't be able to stand it. That's never really happened. I believe this is where God intervenes with Israel. And I believe it's going to be attack on Israel, but I believe the church will also be attacked. And they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be bearing of them that they may cleanse the land. Now let me read something out of my... Some of these guys in these commentaries don't know the whole story. Like the pulpit commentary was produced. It was first published in 1880. So they don't know anything about the war weapons that we have today. They don't know nothing about nuclear power. They didn't know anything. The pulpit commentary was first published in 1880. It took 30 years to put it together. So they started, they had 100 contributors to the pulpit commentary. And it took 30 years to write it and produce it. So in 1850, they started writing the pulpit commentary. And then in 1880, 30 years later, they published it for the first time. So anything that has to do with modern warfare, they're not going to know anything about, are they? And they say something here that's interesting. This is what makes me believe that this is a separate attack on Israel And then there will be an attack. There has been an attack on America, and it's been going on since 1948. When you look at the World Trade Center, that's not the only attack on America. You've had attack on on all kinds of of, uh, installations all over the world, military uh, installation where the guy drove the truck into that Marine barracks in Lebanon and blew himself up with many of these Marines. They had that. That's happened all over the world. And the people behind that more than anybody else was Syria in here. Syria had, uh, they've had a couple of leaders, father and son, that were terrorists, and they did bombed a lot of the cafes, and and the, the different Arab peoples are given instruction. They haven't stopped on their instruction because you hadn't heard of it in the last two days, or three days, or five days, or a year. They hadn't stopped any of their war with America. It's going to be on until the end. We have not seen what's going to happen in this nation yet. 
when the Bible says over here in Matthew, the 24th chapter, it says here, and you say, Jim, do you like to scare people? I want you to be prepared because some things are going to happen to this nation before it's over with. I believe we'll see martial law in the streets. I'm not trying to be a, a doomsday prophet. I believe according to the word of God, it's going to happen. Look here in the 24th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 24. Maybe this will be a little more sobering when you read this. When he says here in uh, verse 16, 24, Let them which are in Judea run for your lives and flee to the mountains. Judea, the mountains around Jerusalem. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his for his clothes. Woe to them that that are with child and them that give suck in those days to a woman that is carrying a newborn baby because there's not going to be any pity on you. Luke says it that way. They will not pity. But pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath days, because anybody that's partaken of that, well, they're not going to travel on the Sabbath. The enemy will use that to come in, just like they did with Nehemiah. For there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There hasn't been anything in the world that's been like what's going to happen at the end of time, including Adolf Hitler killing six million Jews. And except those days should be shortened, there shall no elect flesh be saved. It's not just talking about no flesh. Because the people that's going to be under siege is going to be the believers. There shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then he goes into saying, if any man says, lo, here or there, Jesus is over here in the desert. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? When the Seventh-day Adventist said, he appeared in the desert in 1914. No, he didn't. He said, the next time the world sees me, it'll be as the lightning shines to the east of the west. Let's go back over here. There's going to be great tribulation such as has never been if we're alive when that happens. In fact, let me read something else to you over here in First Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, 4th chapter. I didn't see how this fit in for a long time till the other day. 1 Thessalonians, the 4th chapter. 4th chapter. Chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Don't excessively sorrow when you see these things happening. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, that means the dead in Christ, their bodies over in a grave, their spirits are with the Lord. Those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him when he comes back, he'll bring the spirits of those that have died in Christ. For this we send you by the word of the Lord, that if we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, that word remain is the word perilipa, that has to do with what we're talking about. P-E-R-I-L-E-I-P-O. 
P-E-R-I. L-E-I-P-O. Means to survive. We that are surviving the great slaughter of the church. We that survive under the coming of the Lord. There's going to, what this is saying is there's going to be a great slaughter going on of the Christians. Of the church. They're going to be killing us. I don't mean to frighten you. It's just that's what the Bible says. There has to be a slaughter going on. We which are alive and remain. We survive this slaughter of the man of sin. There has to be an attack on the church. This, he's writing this to the church at Thessalonica. Shall not go before those that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. After the slaughter, and if we're alive, God's going to send from heaven with a kaluo, K-E-L-E-U-O. War cry. Jesus is not going to put up permanently with the persecution of his people. And anyone in Israel that belongs to God is going to have to come through Jesus. According to Mike, our friend that goes over there, he said a lot of them are really inquisitive about Jesus and who he is. He told me one time, he said, you're giving them an understanding about the Old Testament has connected to the New. He said they just want to know something about what's going on. And he said you have a cult following there. Cult means to cultivate. doesn't mean occult. And he said there's people over there wanting to know what you're saying. I hope that this ministry can have a part in a conversion of people in Israel if there is truly a remnant there. It looks like there is to me. Now let's go back over here. Let's go back over here to the 39th chapter of Ezekiel. Let me read something to you out of the out of the uh, pulpit commentary. How much time do I have, Mike? Twelve. In addition to what has been stated at the beginning of this prophecy in Ezekiel 38.1, with references to, to general significance of this invasion by and overthrow of Gog, that it points to some tremendous conflict in the latter days. The latter days is what we're living in. Tremendous conflict in the latter days between the powers of the world and the church of Jesus Christ. A few words may be offered in support of the proposition that nevertheless, they say there is no reason to expect that this conflict we taken from an actual invasion of the land of Israel. You know why they said that? Because back in the 1880s when they put out the pulpit commentary, all these people were not a conglomerate. They weren't, they were all like just a bunch of nomadic people back then warring with each other. They didn't have a common thing in common other than their religion. And there was no organization back in 1880 when they put out the pulpit commentary. I disagree with them on this. Now we can see all these people have, they call it a brotherhood. Everybody that's an Arab is in the brotherhood. That was an official term they give to it. 
if you live in if you live up here in down here in in Egypt in Ethiopia if you live in the area of of uh, the Arabian Peninsula if you live in the area of of Jordan or if you live up here in Iraq or you live over here in Turkey they are an Islamic Brotherhood and they're all at war with America now they may fight each other but when we interfere over there and we take our troops over there they say let's stop fighting the Shiites and the uh, what's the other ones huh what Sunnis the Sunnis and the Shiites are all Muslim and they fight each other all the time when we go over there, they say, okay, let's put our weapons down with each other. Let's join together and fight the Americans. And they go back to fight when we, when we leave. They are, they have a vendetta against America. And they're going to do all they can to destroy us. We're headed towards some hard times. And he goes on to say, our real fire and sword battle with the church. Well, they don't have to... That sounds very shallow to me. Of course, that's the way these scholars were thinking back. Even Mr. Alva McLean wrote his book on the 70 weeks of Daniel in 1940. And he even said he could not see Israel becoming a nation just eight years later because they were being persecuted by Adolf Hitler. He was trying to destroy all the Jews. Because they killed Jesus. So he's going to do God a favor and kill them all. And God is doing what he wants to do with them. I'm not saying that people in Israel are going to heaven. If God has a remnant there, they'll join us in the church. And it looks like he has a remnant there. Especially with those wars that they had. I've got several books on those wars and... They were just literally overwhelmed. One of the things that amazed me, when they started the war for independence in 1948, declared a nation May 14th. May the 15th, all these 45 million Arabs declared war with them. And Israel had 50, had 10,000 rifles. 10,000. And everybody had 100 rounds apiece. That was it. Plus some old cannons out of World War One. They weren't supposed to win. They were supposed to lose. But they didn't. And they were outnumbered a hundred to one. Or more than that. Forty whatever two hundred and fifty thousand over forty five million would be. It goes on to say here, or that God will step upon the field as a veritable flesh and blood personality. I don't know whether he will or not, but I believe they will attack Israel. Nobody could see back before Israel was declared a nation all the time all the time for 400 years when the Arabs were ruling that land 
Israel and the Arabs were virtually at peace with one another. They weren't trying to kill each other. It wasn't until that Israel was liberated and that Balfour Declaration was issued, then they started getting hot and heavy on one another. I'm not going to read any more of this. All right. So when he when he says the reason I believe there has to be an Israeli war as well as a war against the church is because he says it takes seven months to bury their dead. Well, if it takes seven months, that can't be the end of time. We're going to see Israel tacked before long, and we're going to use all of our detente or whatever you want to call it, uh, our wisdom and worldly things, to try to talk everybody back to the peace tables, and it ain't going to work. It's not going to happen. I tell people all the time, it's not going to happen. It's not going to leave. The Middle East thing is here for the duration until Jesus comes. Unless you can get one of them, one group to say, we were wrong, we apologize, we're sorry. And that ain't going to happen, is it? No way. Let's read the rest of this if we can. In verse 11, chapter 39. It shall come to pass in that day that I'll give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and they shall they bury Gog and all of his multitude. That's never happened. And they call it the valley of Haman Gog, and seven months shall the house of Israel be buried of them, that they may cleanse the land. I didn't know what to do with that seven months till this last week where I said there has to be talking about two destructions, one of the church or one of spiritual Israel, and one of, you can include America along with that, and one of literal Israel. Yea, all of the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a, a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord, and they shall sever out men of continual employment passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it after the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any man seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it till the bearers have buried it in the valley of Haman, Gog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamonah. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And the Son of Man, thus saith the Lord, speak unto every feathered fowl and every beast of the field, and say, Assemble yourselves and come gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Those are the same words of Revelation 18 at the destruction of Babylon. Call the fowls of the air. There won't be enough funeral homes to to take care of the dead. So God says, I've got my way of cleaning everything up. Come, fowls of the air, all you wild animals, and come eat these dead kings of the earth. I don't know everything about this, but I know enough 
It's very frightening what's going to happen. What's your answer? Well, there is no answer. There'll be distress of nations with perplexity. That word perplexity, aporia, means there's no way out of this. We're not coming out of it. What's your whole idea of this, Jim? I'm trying to encourage you to serve the Lord. Because you don't have a lot of time to do anything else. And besides that, I got, what, 10, 11 years to live? I'll be 90. I'm not going to live much longer anyway. I don't have anything to lose for saying, search out the Lord. Serve God with all your heart. Let God be in all your thoughts. Do you think people are talking about that? It's in the churches. I think nobody teaching in America on the 38th and 39th chapter of Ezekiel saying it's the thing that's going to happen at the end. But I believe there'll be an attack. The fact of the seven months, I hadn't known what to do with that. I thought it was the end of time. I didn't know what to do with the seventh months. It has to be an attack on Israel by all these people that are ganging up on them right now. But they've got something that's keeping everybody at bay. They've got nuclear warheads. This would be over quick. These Palestinians say they just want a state. They just want a state in the in the west bank of the Jordan River and in the uh, and in the Gaza Strip. They don't want that. They want Israel out here in the sea. They want to Israel wipe Israel off the face of the earth. If they can't do that, and they can't. The Lord coming can't be far behind after Israel is attacked. I'm out of time. I don't know if I said this as clear as I'd like to. If I go back and cover it again, don't blame me. I keep trying to see this thing clearer every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Strengthen us, Lord. Cause us to live for you. We don't have anything to live for except our brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen each other. Thank you for the truth. Cause us to continue your work. Fight our battles. We don't want to fight nobody anymore just to encourage the saints. We'll give you praise for all things in Christ's name. Amen. Remember 2004, Wayne Courtney got to that hotel room in Fort Worth when you. That's I didn't know what year it was. 